Good morning. This morning's scripture is from Lamentations 3, 21 to 25. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, thanks for having me here today. I'm actually really thrilled um, <clears throat> that you, Grace Silbeach, are going through the Bible this entire year. Um, uh, reading through the Bible and trying to understand the whole story of the Bible is actually very instrumental in my life. And it was 20 years ago, um, <clears throat> actually this summer, I was a freshman at Biola University. I was a new believer, biblical studies major. I'd grown up in a, a very nominal Roman Catholic family, very loving parents, but I was never taught the Bible. And so I was reading through the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20, where Paul is uh, meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time, and he says, I have not uh, shied away from preaching the whole counsel of God to you. And I read that, and I thought, do I know what the whole counsel of God is? Do I know what the whole story of the Bible is? And so I actually made it kind of my, my uh, question that summer to figure out, okay, what is the Bible all about? What, what unifies scripture here? And so um, I didn't read the whole Bible, but trying to understand it all and get books that, you know, tried to explain the Bible in its entirety. And it was really coming to see how scripture is this theme about how God's glory is going out through the entire world. And God is present. God is making his presence known among all the nations of the world. And I saw God's heart for mission and saw God's heart for, for the nations and his glory being known among the nations. And it's actually, it's at that time that I started to um, see how my life can be aligned with that. And we, uh, I developed a heart for missions and being overseas. So I hope as you do study scripture, as you go through this entire year, that you're able to see not just individual stories of the Bible, but to see the story of the Bible. And that God, uh, God through the teaching here, really opens your eyes to that. Um, and so I'm excited about that because what you're doing now this year is really what uh, was pivotal in my life 20 years ago and very helpful in that. But about today's sermon, I kind of have to uh, give you a, a heads up on this. We're going to be talking about poetry and suffering today. So I don't know about you, but these are two things that I always try to avoid, all right? Like if you say poetry, suffering, I'm going out the door. Um, so yeah, this morning, it's going to be a little bit somber and a little bit more uh, reflective than a typical Sunday um, <clears throat> at church. And if this is your first time at Grace, I want you to know this is not normal. I mean, usually Pastor Bob, he has face paint, and he's making balloon animals up here. It's very festive, it, quite different. So come back next week and you'll get that, you know, the, the normal Sunday morning routine. So we're going to be talking about some hard things, and to do that, I actually want to uh, share with you... Uh, the most difficult season of my life. Uh, Bob mentioned um, we used to live in Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia, and it was actually um, June 9th, 2010, that my wife Angie was getting ready to go out for a jog in the morning. She was putting on her shoes, and a local friend called her and said, Angie, don't go outside. There's gunfighting on the streets. 
And what happened in the middle of the night, ethnic Kyrgyz and ethnic uh, Uzbek people started uh, an ethnic war. And for the next four days, our city was destroyed. The businesses were looted, entire communities were burned down, 1,000 plus people uh, died. Half of our city fled to the neighboring country as refugees. The situation was so bad. So we hunkered down in our apartment for four days while the war was going on around us. And on the fourth day, we got a military convoy through our city to the airport where we were able to evacuate. And as we were driving through our city, I was weeping. Because this was our home that was totally destroyed. There was vigilante, vigilante people on the street. Homes were burned down. We saw corpses on the street. The city was destroyed economically, materially, socially. And that was our home. And I was only 30 years old at the time, but I felt like I had seen evil and destruction for the first time in my life. And I learned a lesson. Life is hard. It's not all peaches and cream. The world is corrupt and it's broken, and so we face challenges and we face disappointments. There's death and destruction. And life is hard because sin and death are real. And there's some times in our life where those realities get right up in our face. Not every day in our life, I realize, but there's some days where the reality of death and the reality of destruction are, are more real than the face of God in our lives. Now, I know you know this reality. You're human, you've lived on earth. Life is hard. But did you also know that the Bible affirms that? The Bible acknowledges this reality and enters into that as well. So our difficulties in no way contradict the Bible and they don't impugn the character of God. It's not a surprise to the writers of Scripture. And in fact, the Bible enters into it and the book of Lamentations that we're going to talk about shows us how we as God's people can embrace that reality and how we can rightly respond to the difficulties and the trials and the, the angst of life. So let me give you a little context for this. 600 years before Jesus, Israel was a fairly small nation centered around the city of Jerusalem. But there was a powerful uh, empire called Babylon. It was uh, capitaled in modern-day Iraq. So the Babylonians come, and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the city of God. They loot the house of God, the temple that was there. And they destroy and decimate his people understand that how, how catastrophic this would have been for Israel because for 500 years, God had always been present with his people. Ever since he brought them out of Egypt, God was there with them, fighting their battles. He was present. He was providing for them all the time. And now after 500 years of God's faithfulness and God's provision, he's absent He's gone. The princes of Israel become slaves. The children of Israel uh, become laborers. The women of Israel become used and abused. The nation as a whole faces destruction and decimation like they never have before. And so the book of Lamentations is their response to this tragedy. So the book of Lamentations, it's five chapters, and each chapter is a poem. It's an alphabet poem where each verse starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the chapters, each chapter, uh, well, four of the five chapters are 22 verses long because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And, and this is actually important to know because this helps structure uh, the book of Lamentations. 
Uh, it, it, the book, it's kind of like a funeral dirge, right? I realize in our culture, we go to a funeral at the graveside, everyone's really quiet, but in many cultures of the world, people are wailing, people are weeping, there's a, dir- a dirge to, to lament and to grieve that death. Well, and so the poet uses an acrostic poem to comment on that, he, to structure his theology. Now, Forgive me here for trying to explain poetry, but it's important to understand the message because while the content or the subject matter of these poems, it's chaos, it is loss, it, it, it doesn't make sense, it's very well structured, and that's to show that the devastation of Israel, it's complete. It's, it's A to Z suffering. They have lost everything, and they're, they're in the middle of this misery situation. So Lamentations models how we, we can respond to the challenges. And I want to, re, to orient us towards this. So I'm just going to read the opening verses of Lamentations. You can follow along in your Bible or just listen here as I read. But more than anything, I want you to hear the pain, to hear the angst of these words. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow Jerusalem has become. She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal, a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all of her lovers, no one can comfort her. She has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. This word lament, it just means weeping or grieving. And that's what we have here. Someone who is grieving and Lamentations, it, it explains this. And I mentioned the, the structure of the letter, how every chapter is a poem that's 22 verses long. The one exception is chapter 3. You notice in your Bible, it's 66 verses long because uh, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has three verses for it. So it makes it the longest, pro- longest poem in the book of Lamentations, but it, that also makes it the focal point or the high point of Lamentations. And it's here, right in the middle of Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of the death that, that this Israelite, this poet is experiencing, that we see a candle, we see a flicker of hope, right? The, the room is entirely dark, but on the far side of it is a little light, a way out, so to speak. The poet sits in the rubble, and he reads Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. I know these are popular verses you might have heard, um, and they just got read during the scripture reading, but I'm going to say them and imagine the, the context and the situation, despair that they're feeling, but yet proclaim this reality. So the poet says, but this I will call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The perspective here in Lamentations is life is hard and God is good. You see, as Christians, I think we often have a theology, yeah, life is hard, but God is good. As if somehow the latter part drowns out or kind of nullifies the challenges and the struggles of life. But that's not what we have in Lamentations. They hold these two realities side by side. Life is hard, 
and God is good. We might not understand how these fit together, but they are both there in the lament and living in that tension. So let me say that lament, it's not losing our faith. And lament, bringing our grief to God, is not an accusation against God either. But lament, it's being honest and being humble. It's saying, God, this is my situation. Where are you? It doesn't seem like you're present. It doesn't seem like you're here. I can't see you. I want to see you, but I can't. You notice in Lamentations that suffering and silence, it's never a virtue. That's usually our response, right? We pull away. We don't, we don't share that grief or the suffering or the temptations, the trials that we feel. But the poet of Lamentations puts it all out on the table. If you haven't read Lamentations, I hope you do. I hope, I hope this time really you know, provokes, your inter- uh, provokes your interest in it. And you'll see that the poet's very candid. They're not holding any punches back. They're telling God exactly how it is. And it's very vivid in the situation. So lament, it's not an accusation against God. But believe it or not, lament, it's actually a confession of faith. And here's what I mean by that. Lament, it's a declaration that things are not how they can be and how they should be, but that they can be different. Lament is saying This situation, it's not good, it's not right, this is not life. But it can be good, it can be right, and it can be the life that God desires. Why? Because we are calling out to God to come and be present in this situation. So lament is a declaration that that the situation can actually change. A new life is possible because we have a God who's the author of life. Beauty comes from ashes. Life comes from death. Because God speaks life into existence. His mercies are new every morning, and they just keep rolling into our lives. Just like the ocean keeps bringing a new wave upon the shore. The war that I mentioned in our city of Osh was the uh, hardest thing I've experienced in life until this point. We returned after six weeks to a city that was largely destroyed. Um, there was hardly any food in the city because people had to, you know, they fled as refugees. They couldn't cultivate their crops. Um, there was no meat in the city for six to eight months afterwards. Uh, but even more than the physical destruction was socially people were very decimated. And life was really hard at that time. And I didn't see how God was good. But really soon, God started to work, especially in the life of the ethnic Uzbeks. These are people who have been very proud religiously for a long time and very resistant and hard-hearted. But overnight, their hearts softened. You know how trials or sufferings has a way of, of changing our hearts, of giving us a new perspective on God. And it was amazing through this event how a, a, a whole ethnic group as a whole was softened in their heart and much more open to talking about Jesus. And in our own life, looking back now, it, it was very challenging. We came back after six months, um, or sorry, six weeks into the city. We uh, suffered with post-traumatic stress syndrome. I didn't realize, we didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, uh, it was very obvious. And life was hard, but as we reflect on it, we had, in a very small way, a refugee experience that allowed us to identify and understand other refugees in the world. So now, 
we live in Turkey, a country with four million refugees. And in a very small way, I know our situation was, was nothing like uh, on the same scale that they face, but in a small way, we can have compassion. We understand what it's like to be there because of what we had experienced. So in those days, though, God's goodness was not the most obvious thing. It didn't stand out. Like Lamentations 3.32 says, though he causes grief, God will, God will have compassions according to his love. And this is like uh, Job, right? Sometimes the, the mercies of God are very present, but we can't see them in our life. Just like Job, as he was going through the sufferings, it, he didn't, it didn't make sense to him, but on the backside of it, he was able to see God through a new lens. And Job five, or sorry, James chapter 5, uh, verse 11 mentions this, kind of summarizing this about Job. And he says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered through these seasons. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Understand that God's mercy, it's like oxygen for our souls. We don't see the oxygen around us, but every moment, that's what's sustaining us. That's what's keeping us alive. The Lord's full of compassion. Even when life is hard, God is good. And like Job, sometimes it can take years of persevering through those seasons before we look back and are able to have a perspective and see God's goodness. The book of Lamentations actually concludes with, with a paradox of suffering. It acknowledges that, yeah, God is king, but there's realities that make it look like that's not true. So I'll read with you the end of Lamentations, starting from uh, chapter 5, verse 19. It says, But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. That's true. God is good. He's the king. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these days? Restore to us yourself, O Lord, that we might be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us. Yeah, God is the eternal king, but it looks like he's rejected his people. The final words leave this tension really unresolved, right? And it's sometimes like the suffering in our own lives, the book of Lamentations doesn't have a nice, neat conclusion. There's this tension there. The, the poet really doesn't know if, if God's city is going to be destroyed forever. He doesn't know if the nation of Israel, God's people, is going to be wiped out forever as he sits in that moment. Let me give you kind of a, an example to show how this plays out. Um, several years ago, I was here at Seal Beach uh, for a Sunday morning, and um, I was out here in California on my own. I think my family was back in Atlanta at that time. And so afterwards, I just uh, went to the beach, hung out there, um, enjoyed the time, and I got in the water. Now, I understand I'm from Nevada. There's no water in Nevada. So I jump in the wave, having a good time. Well, you know how this works. Inevitably, one comes up, you misjudge it, and bam, it throws you down under the water. So I got thrown under the water, and I knew to keep my chin down so I didn't whack my head. But what happened is it, it, it threw me around, and I scraped my head on the bottom of the ocean on the sand and got all scraped up here. And so it was a little embarrassing because I was actually going to a conference afterwards, and I have this, like, scab right here on the top of my head. 
And if you've ever been in that situation, you know it's frightening in the middle of it. You don't know which way is up. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to stand up and get pounded by another wave. You know it's probably going to turn out okay. But in that moment, there's panic, there's chaos. And it's not until you're able to get on your feet, get out of the water, and go back up on the shore that you feel okay and you can take a breath and kind of process what happened, right? The book of Lamentations was written in that moment of chaos when the wave just whacked them and they're turning upside down. They have no idea which way is up. That is, the, that is where Lamentations is written from. And that's a reality in life. The book of Job goes through that, but the book of Job is written from the shore, right? After he got whacked and knocked down and you know, got thrown through the spin cycle, he was able to look back and see what happened and it made sense. And that. And let me say, as New Covenant Christians now reading the book of Lamentations, we know how this story ends. We know that God does preserve his people. He brings them back from Israel. He renews the covenant with them. In in an amazing, mysterious way, God reforms his people actually through the suffering of his own son at the hands of the new Babylon, right? Jesus died at the hands of Rome. And it's through that that God makes a new people that we are now part of as the church. God is faithful. God has not forsaken his, his people because we are here. And so understand that even as we, we Christians, we know the end of the story. We know the book of Revelation, how it all, how the big story, how the book ends. But there's still times in our life there's seasons or there's chapters where we don't understand how this fits in to the big story. It doesn't make sense how, how this darkness, how the death of a child, how the divorce of parents fits into this bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And that is where Lamentations is written for us and makes sense in those moments. So we can lament. We can share our pain with God and ask him to be present in those moments. So there's an obvious elephant in the room that I have to address here. Uh, ironically, the elephant is this room here. We're talking about lament not as we sit in a destroyed city, you know, 2,500 years ago. We're sitting in Seal Beach, right? I mean, this is one of the most idyllic, quaint, beautiful cities, you know, in all the world, you could say. And so, you know, our definition of destruction is a kitchen remodel. Yeah? (laughs) Or or people people at Seal Beach lament that they get priced out of Seal Beach and they have to go live in Long Beach. Yeah? (laughs) So I'm from Long Beach. I know how you Seal Beachers think, right? (laughs) So we have to ask this question and be real with ourselves. How does this message of lamentations relate to our life? We're living in one of the most affluent times and places in all of history. How does this speak to us? Well, I have uh, two points to make on that. One's personal, one's more global. The poet laments not simply the material destruction or the material poverty at the time, but he laments the social distress and the emotional pain. Listen to Lamentations 3.13 and 14. God pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of my people. They mock me in song all day long. The author laments not their material situation, but the emotional and social situation, the humiliation, 
the alienation, the shame, the loneliness. And those are all realities that we face. In fact, I would say, ironically, it, our technology or our, you know, the, the progress that we have made in history has not rescued us from those things. But I think there's something to be said that even with all our technology, we face alienation and loneliness and shame in a way that people in all of history have never faced before. And I think it's in this way that the book of Lamentations can make sense to us. We experience these things today, and we live in broken families, we live in broken relationships, <clears throat> we live with marriages that just have ongoing tension, and we bear shame, and we feel isolated. We have disappointments, we have pains, and it's irregardless of our material situation that we encounter that, that we feel like the poet of lamentations. And it's in those moments that we can be honest with God and we can lament these things, these pains that we experience. And again, as we bring them to God and as we lament, it's not an accusation against God, but it's a cry for renewal and restoration. Lament, it's not standing over God as the judge, but it's coming under God and begging him to be present to come and be in our lives in a concrete way. So we can lament personally for, for the things we experience, the tragedies, the temptations, but there's also global realities that I think that cause us to lament as God's people. Our world is broken. If you read the newspaper, that's what the headlines are about, is the brokenness of this world. I could throw out all kinds of numbers. I'll just mention some. There's 70 million refugees in the world today. That means there's 70 million people who can't live at home, even though they want to, but there's some sort of war or there's some sort of uh, environmental disaster that makes them leave home. There's 160 million orphans in the world today, children that can't live and don't live with their parents. A quarter million Christians face major persecution. Racism and violence are increasing in this country and around the world. There's three billion people in the world who will never hear about Jesus unless someone from a different culture enters into their culture and crosses some sort of barrier and tells them about Jesus. Sometimes it feels like Satan is winning when we see the current state of the world. So why am I saying this? I know we can't fix all the problems, and I'm not up here to say, let's rally around and fix the whole world. And I'm not saying this so that we feel guilty. That's usually the, you know, a, a common response of people is to feel bad, feel guilty for what you have and what the other people don't have. That's not helpful either. I don't think God calls us to that. But we can feel sad. We can have compassion that the world is not right, that there's still evil, there's still death, that Satan still has a foothold in this world. And we admit and we ask God, God, what will be done because limit, it's a cry for justice and righteousness to be done. It's a, it's a plea for God's will, for God's kingdom to come onto, onto earth as it is in heaven. And so as we lament and we grieve sin in the world, our heart grows in compassion. And so we move from, God, what can be done, to, God, is there something I can do about this? About this ache in the world that people face. For me, obviously my context is Turkey, and there's two things that always God keeps bringing to my heart. God, why are there only 8,000 
believers in Turkey in a country of 70 million people. It just doesn't seem right. Your glory is not experienced in this country. The other one is, why are there three and a half million refugees in this country who can't live in, live in their house? It doesn't seem right. I know I can't fix the whole problem, I can't evangelize the whole country, and I can't take care of three million refugees, but I can be moved by compassion, be moved in prayer. And we can too. Um, the church is God's tool for bringing life and justice and salvation into the world. And I think lament, a, a compassion for the situation in the world is, is step one in moving that direction of being God's agent of change in the world. We see the pain in the world and our hearts ache and we have compassion. And this is exactly what happened in Matthew chapter nine. Remember how Jesus, he sees the crowds, right? And he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what's his response? He says, pray that God would send people into the harvest, that these people would have shepherds who take care of them, who provide for them. So Jesus <clears throat> is... <clears throat> Jesus' prayer is fueled by this, this compassion that's rooted in lament. The situation is not right. So until Jesus comes to restore his kingdom, there are always going to be things that we can lament. And that's okay. Whether it be in our personal life, whether that be in the world, we can bring those to God and say, God, this is a mess. Where are you? Help me to see you here. Life is hard and God is good. And lament hold, helps us hold these two things in tension, right? Because some Christians are, are naive as if life isn't hard. It's all peaches and cream. But then other times, we deny the goodness of God, and that's a position of arrogance and pride over God. But lament, it's a posture of humility, of saying, God, this is the way the situation is. Help me see how these things come together. Help me experience and see your goodness in this situation. So through humble lament, we, we say, God, this isn't right, but you can make it right. Justice and righteousness can reign here, and it can be new. There can be resurrection life in this, and this is biblical lament. So as the worship, time come, worship team comes up, I want to take a time of just allowing us to uh, sit here in this posture. I realize we don't lament a lot. And I, some of us might not be in this position, but um, I think there are many uh, in this room that might be. And I just want to give you permission to lament. Maybe identify something. This isn't right, God. Make it right. Be God. Roll, uh, roll up your sleeves. Let, let's hear your voice here. Whether it be personally, globally, nationally, whatever it is. Jesus, we start with this reality that you are a king because you have risen from the dead and you have conquered sin and death and Satan and all forms of evil and you sit at the right hand of God and you have all authority. We declare that, that you are good and you are on the throne, Lord. But Lord, there are some days that it doesn't seem like that. There's some places in the world where you are not reigning. There's some areas of our life that just feel so controlled by brokenness or, or sin. 
and our hearts hurt in those times. Yeah, sometimes we feel lonely, we feel broken, we feel confused, God. We don't know how all the pieces fit together, God. And so it's, a, it's in this time that we come to you, Lord. Give us perspective. Let us hear your voice, God. Let us come to you as, as children to the Father, saying, Dad, I got this problem. Can you help me out with this? We know that you, you want to be here for us. You're watching over. You know about the situation, God. And we praise you, Jesus, that you have concluded the story. You have redeemed suffering. You have overcome evil. And when we are in you, we, <clears throat> we can live through those moments, God. So we pray that you would help us. Help us keep our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith in all of all these seasons of our life and all these areas or circumstances of our life, especially those that, that don't seem right, that we need, uh, that we should lament and bring to you, Lord. Work in our hearts, God. We love you and we come close to you and we just ask you to be God in our life, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.